welcome to this episode of Trivia Album. Trivia Album. <laughs> I keep saying that. Trivia Album. With myself, Stephen Cahaney, and my good friend... Deco Lang. There you go. And this week, we'll get straight into it. This week, we're going to be doing this episode on Pearl Jam's 10 album. And what an album, I have to say. It's still one of those albums that kind of is, is as good as when it came out. Um, and it's aged very finely, I think. Absolutely, yeah, unreal. I don't. I think everybody remembers the first time they've heard Ten. Absolutely. I mean, there has to be at least one track off that album that everybody likes. I mean, there's such a mixture of different tracks. Um, yeah. Well, I'll just go ahead and say a couple of things. So, Pearl Jam entered Seattle's London Bridge Studios in March 1991 to record Ten. Um. They're like the actual name of the band kind of goes around this whole thing. So they were originally called Mookie Baylock. Um, and he's a famous basketball player uh, with the number 10. So that's where it came from. And each member um, of the band is a massive fan of basketball. So they named themselves after their favorite player, Mookie Baylock. Cool. Um, and unfortunately, they were forced to change the name, obviously with copyright and stuff, but chose the album name 10 after Mookie's jersey number. So that's where it came out of. So um, yeah, and released, 10 was released on August 27, 1991. 10 contained 11 tracks dealing with dark subjects such as depression, suicide, loneliness, and murder. Ten's mm. uh, musical style, influenced by classic rock, combined an expansive harmonic vocabulary with an anthemic sound. There you go. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so just just kind of um, just just the background. Um, Gossard Gossard Stone, who, who is the main guitarist, and Jeff Emmett, who plays bass. They had been members of two previous bands before. They were called um, Green River and Mother Love Bone. And um, Mother Lovebone dissolved um, their vocalist, Andrew Wood. He, sort of, he passed away just before the release of their first album, so they didn't really want to um, sort of keep keep playing any of that stuff. So um, Gosser, he, he started um, rehearsing then with Mike McCready, who, um, who was in Pearl Jam then. And their, his band Shadow had broken up. Um, so McCready kind of pushed uh, uh, Stone to kind of reconnect with Jeff and men to sort of um, start playing again and so then they formed the band that would become Mookie Baylock as you said and then eventually Pearl Jam um, hmm. so the three of them kind of went into a, into the studio you know the recorded demos like separate sessions before 10 started recording and there, there were separate sessions with drummers uh, Matt Cameron uh, from Soundgarden and um, the former Shadow drummer uh, Chris Friel um, so they recorded instrumental demos of the songs I'm assuming that none of them were too uh, too uh, great on vocals, so um, they recorded five songs called Dollar Short, um, A Jishin Crave, Footsteps, Richards E, and E Ballad. And uh, they were all put onto a demo tape, then it was called Stone Gossard's Demos 91. And that was kind of circulated around then through the through the musical circles, like, you know, for bands sort of hoping to find a drummer and a singer to complete their setup. So mm. and former Chili Peppers drummer, Jack Irons, he gave the demo tapes to uh, Eddie Vedder. And um, he said he just went for a surf afterwards. And the next day he wrote lyrics for Daughter Short, Ajishin Crave and Footsteps. And um, two of them would eventually make the album. Daughter Short was uh, later known as Alive. And Ajishin Crave was Once. They heard the Stone, uh, Gossard Stone and Jeff Ament, they heard the demo with Eddie's vocals. 
and they, they were impressed enough to fly him out to Seattle. When, um, when he was en route to Seattle, uh, he had written the lyrics uh, for E Ballad, and then that was renamed Black, and that was put on the album as well. And uh, yeah, so uh, October 1990 is when Eddie arrived, and began her rehearsing with the band for a week. And uh, they in- recruited Dave Cruson as a drummer, and them 11 songs were written during the process. And uh, Eddie was uh, hired as the band singer then. And um, Cruson is actually currently drumming for Candlebox as well. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's just a bit of background into uh, how it all how it all got started. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah, the, um, I suppose we'll, we'll start with the with the tracks. So number one on the album is "Once," and this is actually I kind of never I heard bits and pieces about this years ago, and I never really found out any information. But obviously, with the the magic of gongling, um, you can find <laughs> out loads of stuff about it. And there there's a hidden track right at the beginning and it's found in two parts so you know you hear the beginning where it's very percussiony and a lot of reverb right at the beginning of once mm-hmm. and yeah. there's a bit of bass i think um uh the first part begins the album before one starts and the second part closes the album playing after release both are instrumental aside from Vether's uh random mumblings in the second half mm-hmm. uh, together the tracks count as one on the cd so oh. yeah that's that's pretty yeah so um because there was a couple of parts where it did say there was an uh, kind of technically another track on it and it was like there is obviously between the two parts but yeah if you have a listen I, i'd say somebody's it must be on some b-side or some compilation album i'd say it's all together or mm-hmm. some person has probably done it on youtube and put the two together probably yeah. you know but um the interesting thing about once was that three of the songs make a mini opera called Mama-san or Mama-son. And the three songs that are in it, and you mentioned Footsteps before, so there's a live Once and Footsteps, um, which is the track that wasn't on the album. They work together to form a trio of songs to tell a very, very, very dark story. So Vedder explained the sequence of events to Rolling Stone, and this is what he said. Everybody writes about it like it's a life affirmation thing. I'm really glad about that, the singer said. But alive is, and dot, 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 it's torture, which is why it's fucked up for me. Um, Alive, pretty much, you'll probably, like, I think I'll talk about it later, but I might as well just say it now, that Alive tells the story of a son whose father died, but he grows up to look so much like his father that his mother wants him in an inappropriate way, let's just say. This minus the incest portion was partially inspired by Vedder's own experience of not knowing his own biological father. And having... To grow up and deal with so many conflicting and confusing emotions leads the character to become a serial killer, which is reflected in the song once, then goes on a killing spree, which is oceans. So, And finally, in Footsteps, he is executed for his actions, which is also partly based on the events of the Green River Killer, which is kind of cool because Green River was the name of the band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. mad, yeah, yeah 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 i mean it was yeah like i know i know i kind of busted like two of the tracks there just by saying that but it kind of has to be said in that kind of order but it's mm-hmm. it's mad that kind of story and as you said even when you were saying that he wrote the lyrics because after coming back from a surf or he was on the plane doing black like right yeah. there like that's just crazy yeah. when you kind of listen back to it now and i did actually after i found out about this i did go back and listen to it and yeah alive isn't as uh optimistic as i thought it was <laughs> No, when I actually no, go back think, and listen to it, I think we're taken in by the <laughs> by the nice um, nice guitar and uh, 
just the way the song flows music wise i think we're taken in by that aren't we yeah but that's i mean that that's pretty much it. anything to add to that did you know that or i didn't know that no and that's um i probably yeah. that's what i'm gonna do once uh once we're finished is go back and listen to that those, those um yeah that's pretty much that's that's once anyway and pretty much a lot sure. so yeah so the obviously the next song uh, on the album is one of their one of their biggest songs even flow imagine that number two on your first album even flow not bad unreal <laughs> so the lyrics um the lyrics are written obviously by eddie vetter and the music is credited to stone gossard um, it's the second single from 10 and was released in 1992. Um, it peaked at number three on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks charts. Um, there's a remix version of the track on the 29th, or sorry, 2009 uh, 10 reissue. So um, Jeff kind of said, he said that he knew it was a great song all along, but he felt that they never sort of nailed it in the studio when they were recording it. He said, uh, mm. David, David Cruson kind of said that, you know, he was very green then, you know, and even suffered from too much too much fluctuation you know it's sort of adding it was really tough for him and he wasn't sure why you know um for everyone it was a nightmare to record you know and they played it over and over i think you have the figures of how much they played it <laughs> um he said it was about 50 to 70 times <laughs> yeah imagine <laughs> yeah uh, I've, I've got to hear they said they played it over and over until they hated each other and uh <laughs> An alternate version of the song, it was recorded with their drummer, Dave Abrusese. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, in 92. And they were recording songs for the soundtrack of the movie Singles. And that's the actual version that's used on the music video. And it was released on the single releases in the UK. Yeah, the, the lyrics of the song describes the experience of being the homeless man. Um, as you said, this this album is fairly sort of dark subject matter on all of the tracks. The subject of the track, he, he slip he sleeps on a pillow made of concrete. You know that that's obviously sleeping sleeping rough outside and asking passersby for spare change. He's illiterate. And he also maybe mentally ill. If you think of the lyrics, you know when he's happy, he looks insane. Also struggles to keep focus on his thoughts. You know, and you know thoughts arrive like butterflies, and he chases them away. At a concert um, in March '94. Feder introduced the song by saying, I thought I'd throw in a bit of street education while you still have an open mind. Right across the street, there's a little homeless community that lives under the bridge. You should just know that these people ain't all crazy and sometimes it's not their fault. And this song is called Evenflow. So um, kind of bring, bring an awareness to, to everybody there as well about the sort of homeless community as well. So there was another in, in 2008 when they were playing in Toronto. He, he said, Vetter also said that the song was written under the Space Needle in Seattle. So he, he revealed on the record that he, he, he can't listen to the to the early records, um, except the first record. It's just the sound, you know, sorry, he, he can listen to the early records, but he can't listen to the first record for some reason. He just doesn't like the sound of it. He said it's mixed in a kind of way that was too too kind of overproduced, you know, and kind of kind, yeah. kind of the way, you know, I suppose it's, it probably was overproduced for the first one. You know, it wasn't that raw sort of, you know, if you think back to... Um, Think back to to Bleach by Nirvana, and then Nevermind are kind of two different, two different sort of mastering styles are produced in different ways. But he kind yeah. of said that while he can listen to some early records, he just he can listen to the first one the way it was when when it came out at that time. That's mad. Just even listen to it there. Um, yesterday actually, I listened to it again. There does seem, as you said, there is a very polished kind of sound to it. There there seems like a ton of reverb on the track yeah. as well on some of the parts where it seems like there's an, I don't know, it just doesn't sound, yeah, I, I, I 
totally understand what he means by that. Like, you know, and obviously with, with them rec- doing the other recordings with Mother Lovebone as well, they obviously knew kind of how it should sound. And mm. yeah, but it's still great. Yeah, yeah. There's, and, there's um, just um, there, there's um, another bit. He wrote the song actually about uh, a homeless Vietnam War veteran that he um, that he met. He befriended him while they were working on the album and he died while the band were touring. Um, so he actually um, he oh, wrote that right. song then about about him and then you know obviously it was recorded then but in the album um, <clears throat> there is a video for the song um, it was originally supposed to be recorded by a director called Rocky Schenk and the concept for the video was based on an idea by Stone Gossard about the video that was filmed in a zoo set in the film at night so it was in an old sort of closed facility with yeah. wildlife sort of brought in you know which is um, kind of odd you know but Along with the footage of the animals, um, there was footage of the band individually and as a group, and that was all recorded. And it took a number of hours and um, to record it, and the band weren't too happy with the result. And it was considered a waste of money, and it was scrapped. Uh, Dave Abreu says his wrists, I don't know how, I, I tried to look it up to see what, what had happened, but apparently his wrists were significantly damaged during the shoot, and he was required to drum on the European tour with a splint attached to his hands for... Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I looked it up to see what had happened. Maybe it was just you know repetition of just playing the same thing over and over for hours on end. You know, I don't know. But um, yeah. yeah. Well, ultimately, the video that was released was just uh, performance footage from a show that they played in Seattle in '92. So um, just final fact on it, it was it's it's become the band's most performed live song. They played it over 800 times. Wow. God, I'd say they know it off a bit now. Wow, it's, that's crazy. Well, you'd be surprised. If yeah, yeah now there's eight hundred times. Wow, that's cool though. Like I, I didn't realize. Yeah, the Vietnam. Mm, yeah. Soldier, like that. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it'd be interesting to go back now and hear this in terms of because I mean, yeah, I mean, finding out these little nuggets are kind of exactly. cool, and then to go back, it kind of changes some of the the angles and the views of the songs. So that's pretty cool. I go on to number three. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so yeah, we we. I talked about this already, but it's Alive, obviously. Alive, which we talked about before, is semi-audiobiographical. I can't even say that word. Vedder reveals he wrote the song Biological Father had passed away without ever getting the chance to meet him. Just like it's pretty much in, in line with that whole the incest kind of thing that we were talking about, mm-hmm. that it's the, the kind of trio um kind of thing, the storyline. But um the single was released in nineteen ninety-two. Um the cool thing about this is that there was an early version released of the track back in 91 and it was released on the Coca-Cola pop music sampler, <laughs> which from what I could look at, it looks like it's a kind of a promotional thing that might've been used for little kind of bits of advertisements and yeah. Yeah. So it's a Coca-Cola. Yeah. Cool. So it was released. Yeah. That, that was the first kind of thing about it. Yeah. The talking about in terms with the actual guitar on it, uh, Alive's original guitar solo was much shorter. While mm. recording, producer Tim Palmer urged Mike McCready to play a longer solo to exaggerate the ending of the song. So, really? yeah. And what a result. And it kind of makes sense. Yeah, like it is one of them where is the solo too long? But no, I think it's absolutely class. Like, especially yeah. it's the kind of after effect of the entire song and then it just wails for... Yeah, and, and the fact that it gets sort of... Yeah, and I was going to say the fact that the solo kind of gets broken up by a, you know, a sort of a vocal sort of a vocal bit as well, you know, is is um, you know, there is that bit where yeah. where Eddie comes in and does a bit like you know, and kind of breaks it up a bit. It might seem long if you didn't do that, like you know, but it's not a, you know, it's not touching on Freebird, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. But yeah, that's that's pretty much alive. Like uh, as as we were saying, it's it's all in line with that other the the whole Mama Son mm-hmm. Mama Son thing. So Deadly. that's alive. Cool. Excellent. Okay. So uh, the next song on the track, sorry, the next track on the album uh, is Why Go. Again, obviously the vocals are written by Eddie Vedder and uh, Jeff Amand providing the music. It kind of it, it addresses sort of uh, lyrics wise social criticism and family neglect. And uh, themes, you know, as as we said earlier, themes that have often been used on town. It kind of follows a structure, kind of, you know, the, the structure of even flow, kind of both being life facts, you know, of a protagonist being told in a kind of third person point of view. It, it t- tells the story of a girl who's under treatment in a psychiatric hospital for two years and for unknown reasons. Um, so obviously she, she feels alone and um, she refuses to receive her mother's visit since uh, on the advice of doctors, it was her who put her there. She refuses any kind of treatment, you know, it's kind of that itself proves her to be to be sane, you know, the fact that she can refuse the treatment and isn't mentally ill. So she she would be in hell having to go home on this medication with her mother, you know, so it would be easier to stay in the mental hospital and have her sanity. So why go home, you know, and uh, in the liner notes, Eddie dedicates the song to a girl named Heather. That That's really all the information I got. I got on why go. But it's, you know, again, it's kind of following you know, the, the dark, dark sort of um, subject matter, you know, of, of being in a mentally a mental institution and, you you know, wasn't actually ill or anything like that. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. It's just the minute you said the song, it's just like, why go home? Really cool. Hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's new. I've, yeah, I've never yeah, heard cool. about that song. Like, it is one of those songs that, one of those songs that you just, it passes through in the album. You're kind of, like, it's a great song. But yeah. That's that's even given a bit more meaning yeah, there, because obviously you know with with the tracks that are kind of before and after that, it is one of those songs mm-hmm. that you kind of never really think about. But yeah, that's quite a heavy story, isn't it? It is, yeah. And just just like you said, there is. It's I'm kind of um, very guilty of that, where I just you know you listen to a track and you listen to the music and you think, yeah, great, great song. It, you know, you don't really listen to uh, listen to the lyrics as sort of much as you know, as much as, as you would probably listen to the music. And when you go back and sort of read about these things, you know, and uh, get get the subject matter on them, it kind of makes it kind of makes a big difference to the whole to the whole story of the song, you know? Yeah. No, finding out some some gems today now, I must say, because um, obviously mm. we know yeah. with some of the other episodes, we do know a lot of trivia with the other bands. But this one is. Yeah, yeah. I do know the album, but it's kind of yeah to hear that. It, it definitely gives it a bit more weight as well after many years yeah. of listening to it yeah which is kind of cool yeah um i guess number the next track on the album is probably one of my favorites and i'd say it's a lot of people's favorites especially the unplugged version i think it's a it's an absolute stonking performance mm-hmm. and it's black so track number five is black the song is about one thing that he feels uh, to be the ultimate betrayal apparently he placed everything in this one person and it turned on him seemingly overnight Thus, the reference to how quick the sun can drop away, no warning, just over. Um, so, like, that's pretty much what the kind of sense of what Eddie has kind of talked about, Eddie Vedder. Um, and as Eddie himself stated about the theme of black, because I reading up on a lot of this stuff, he does tend not really to talk about some of the themes of the songs. 
he tends to kind of be very private with that. And I'd say even some of the lads in the band don't even know <laughs> some of the parts that he's been talking about. But yeah. with, with Black, the theme of Black, he, he said it in an interview saying that it's very rare for a relationship to withstand the Earth's gra gravitational pull and where it's going to take people and how they're going to grow. I've heard it said that you can't really have a true love unless it was a love unrequited. It's a harsh one because then your truest one is the one you can't have forever. <laughs> Eddie Vedder. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hearing that kind of, you kind of go, God, that, yeah, there's, there's a kind of a, a very, very sad anguish or something in the entire run of the song. And it's, it's, it's really, mm -hmm. really cool. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, even as I was saying about the emotion wise, the Vedder very rarely gives away some of the bigger songs they, uh, Pearl Jam would not allow Black to receive a video treatment because I'd say it would have been even bigger if it did actually was released as mm -hmm. a single but several songs from 10 were accompanied with a music video however Pearl Jam refused to do a video for Black uh, some songs just aren't meant to be played uh, between hit number 2 and hit number 3 as Eddie said uh, you start doing those yeah. things you'll crush it and um, that's not why we wrote songs we didn't write to make hits but those fragile songs get crushed by the business. I don't want to be part of it. I don't think the band wants to be part of it. And there you go. Like that's that's Eddie Vedder true and true. Like, you know, you think yeah. about Ticketmaster and all the stuff that they've kind of fought against over the years. I mean, he was pretty much doing this even back at the debut album, like. <laughs> so there you go. Like But yeah. yeah, that that's pretty much black. Anything to add on that? Like it was Um no, funny enough, Black. I met um, I met Stewie in town the other day, just uh, having a pint and uh, telling he does one one good version of that song. Whenever the pubs are open again, we'll be oh, going to hear that. Yes, have a couple of pints of Black stuff. <laughs> a couple of pints of Black, listen to Black. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so the next track is the the next song is one of the biggest songs as well. It's uh, Jeremy. So Jeremy, um, written by Eddie and Jeff. Uh, released um, as a single on September 27th, 92. And Footsteps was included as a B-side and the song called mm. Yellow Led Better as well. It was the third third single after um, from 10 after Alive and Evenflow. Um, so it, the song lyrically, it was inspired by a newspaper article Vedder read about a student called Jeremy Wade Dell. Uh, he had shot himself in front of his English class on January 8th, 1991. Um, it reached number five on both mainstream and modern rock billboard charts. Um, it gained popularity for its music video that was directed by Mark Pellington. And um, we'd be familiar with his work because he also did the video for One by U2. Um, it's, um, the video received heavy rotation from MTV, so that, that made it a hit. Um, there was another version of the video. It was shot by um, a guy called Chris Cafaro, but he was mainly a photographer. He had clients like Michael Hutchins and George Michael, George Harrison, Henry Rollins. Um, so, but, you know, he, he was more a photographer than a director and um, Epic Records, um, who signed uh, Pearl Jam and MTV, they rejected the video. So um, they released the Pellington version, which was awarded four MTV Video Music Awards. And one was for best video of the year. And MTV, they, they had restrictions on violent imagery and, um, you know, it prevented the Pellington video from showing the very end where Jeremy puts the gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger. 
ironically, sort of the, the close up of Jeremy at the end of the video, along with the, you know, the sort of defensive posture of the, of the classmates, you know, they're kind of yeah. their hands up and they're all covered in blood and look shocked. So that led many viewers to believe that the video ended with Jeremy shooting his classmates and not himself. Oh. Pennington is, you know, he said to be frustrated at the end and is misinterpreted. Um, the idea is that it's his blood on them and they're frozen in shock, you know, at the moment of looking um, that the camera sort of focuses on them. As you said there just um, a minute ago about Black, after Jeremy, Pearl Jam moved away from making music videos as they didn't want fans to remember their songs videos. Amen said about the song, um, he said he already had two pieces of music that he wrote on an acoustic guitar, but he had the idea that he would play them on a, a Hamer 12-string bass that he had just ordered. Man. And that when the bass arrived, he recorded, yeah, he recorded one of the pieces and that became, uh, that became Jeremy then. And um, he also had an idea for the outro when they were recording the second thing and he overdubbed a 12 string bass and added a cello and it just added that that was big time production for them. He, he, he also stated, he said, they knew it was a good song, but they, they said it was tough getting it to feel right, you know, for apparently for the chorus to sit back and the outro to push over, push over the top. And it said it practically it went from not making it on the record to being the one that's been one of the best, you know. Um, he said he's he's not sure it's the best song in the album, but he think he thinks it's the best take that they recorded. Um, for for the album, you know, um, he he said that he always heard other melody in the choruses and the end, and it never sounded good on guitar or bass. So they brought that's what they brought in the cello player to uh, to do that, which inspired also a background vocal, and that kind of drew it all together, you know, at, at the end of the song. Um, so just finally about the lyrics, it's based on two different true stories. As I said, it was the Jeremy Wade Dell who uh, shot himself in front of his English class. And um, the second song is on, uh, involves a student that Eddie knew himself from his junior high school in San Diego. So Eddie said, um, I actually knew somebody in junior high school in San Diego uh, that did the same thing, just about. Didn't take his life, but ended up shooting up an oceanography room. So he remembers being in the halls and hearing it. And he had actually had altercations with this kid in the past. And he was kind of a rebellious fifth grader. And I think we got in fights and stuff. So it's a bit about this kid named Jeremy and also a bit about a kid named Brian that I knew. And uh, I don't know the song. Uh, I think it says a lot. He said he thinks it goes somewhere. A lot of people interpret it different. And it's just been recently that uh, he's been talking about the true meaning behind it. And he hoped no one's offended. And believe me, he thinks of Jeremy when he sings it. So, um, yeah, I kind of, you know, the, about the second part, you know, the second true story, you know, um, did, did, doesn't it mention somewhere in the lyrics that he, uh, that he hit the hit the subject of the of the of the song, if I can yeah. remember that rightly. He, he hit me with a right. <clears throat> yeah, clearly I remember picking right. picking on the boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. I yeah, even even now that you say that, I do remember that it was about obviously the the kid called Jeremy. That that yeah. Mm. But I guess lo, thinking back at the video now, I'm just just when you were talking there, I was actually trying to make thinking in my head about the actual video. Um, yeah, and it does look like at mm. the end that he did shoot up the entire classroom, but obviously it's the impact yeah. of him yeah. killing himself. But yeah, yeah there's definitely the video as well. There's no, no, sorry, I was, I was just going to say that during the video, there's loads of like and just ne different negative words, isn't there, that, that come up, um, just you know, just breaks to a word like you know, I, I can't, I can't even remember some of the words, but it's just, um, ju just, just negative words, you know, just um, constantly, constantly popping up on the on the screen um, in between in between takes 
But even even when you say it there, that it was directed by the same director as as the one video, like during the nineties. Mm. That that was yeah. I mean, I'll pretty much Jeremy, come as you are. All those videos kind of had that certain grit. Um, they're very. Mm. I think they loved the our grit, that weird kind of Vaseline yeah. covered <laughs> on the screens, and yeah, adding just that distortion mm. kind of thing over visually. Um, very vivid colors as well. Always the purples and the blues and. You know, yes, yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. Just had a flashback there. Sorry, when I was a teenager <laughs> thinking about the. I must go, must go on an MTV, well, classic, I guess it'll be called now, an MTV classic kind of night of just yeah. uh, watching those videos. So yeah, but yeah, that would that's, be sweet. Yeah. That's a, really cool. Like, and watch them out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, yeah, sorry, I was just yeah, that's just uh, I didn't know that the second part that that actually was about another guy. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it was good. Good. Um, it gives good insight. Um. So track seven uh, is oceans, and oceans, as you said earlier on, that it was in. Well, it's kind of on the same kind of buzz that it was inspired by Vedder's affinity for surfing. Apparently, that that was the other side of it. Apart from that whole kind of three song kind of opera thing so following pearl jam's performance of the song at the band's 1992 mtv unplugged performance fetter stated that that it was a little love song i wrote about my surfboard actually it was to someone named beth who hopefully i'll see tomorrow so i don't know like if you if you haven't seen i'd say mostly anybody that's listened to this will have seen the mtv unplugged performance pearl jam um it's definitely one of the best like i didn't think you could rock out so much in terms acoustically it's uh, it's just sounds yeah. brilliant captured it perfectly just the way pearl jam are um but yeah uh beth liebling is her name uh that beth that's what vetter who who vetter was talking about uh she was the co-founder mm-hmm. of the seattle-based experimental instrumental group called hovercraft and um she married eddie vetter in 1994 uh, so after having been together since nineteen, uh, ha- after having been together since eighty three, they divorced in September two thousand. So there you go. That was the quick history of Eddie Vedder's okay. marriage. So yeah, but that's that's where the reference. Mm-hmm. If you have heard it, as as Eddie said, uh, he says, "I remember for oceans, someone asked me to put change in the park parking meter for them. I went and did that, and then I came back and was locked out. So this is the story apparently that he was out surfing. So it was drizzling, and I wasn't dressed for an outing in the rain." I had a scrap of paper and a pen in my pocket and they were playing the song inside. All I could hear was the bass coming through the wall, this window that was boarded up. So I wrote the song to the bass, apparently. I wasn't even listening to hear the song at first. When I when I heard a break, I'd start pounding on the door trying to get out of the rain. So as I was doing that, I thought, fuck it, I might as well write something. So there you go, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Like, um, nice. And... Um, just a little extra trivia thing with this: the producer of the of ten, Tim Palmer, used the pepper shaker and the fire extinguisher as percussion in Oceans, which, um, yeah, I was kind of shocked. It was kind of it sounded pretty good. Um, at a, at about thirty seconds into the song, you can hear the pepper shaker on the left and the fire extinguisher on the right. <laughs> and I actually did it on the headphones. I listened to it. It actually is. You can hear it. The reason mm-hmm. Palmer used those items Brilliant. was purely because they were so far from a music rental shop and necessity became the mother of invention as tim palmer said so that's um, yeah that's oceans yeah mad 
Cool. I, I wonder. I wonder why a, a pepper shaker and fire uh, extinguisher became necessity. That's that's a, that's a funny one. <clears throat> yeah, I guess depends on how far away. I mean, for us, we've what the record room or rumble for getting strings and stuff. But um, yeah, in the states, yeah. could be couple fifty, sixty miles away. Who knows? But yeah, if it works, it that's works. That's true. Yeah. No, that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it's kind of it's one of those songs that kind of isn't. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, unique in this album that it's a break away from sort of the dark, the dark material, mm. <clears throat> the yeah. dark subject matter. You know, um, so the next song on the album was um, "Porch," um, so it's one of the earliest Pearl Jam songs. And again, it, it was one of those songs that Eddie wrote the lyrics for while he was on his way to meet the rest of the band for the first time. So um, the music, obviously, at that stage, had been written by Stone Gossard and Jeff Hammond. It's one of those Pearl Jam songs. It's kind of very much open to interpretation. You know how cryptic Eddie Vedder can be with his, with his lyrics, you know. But um, it, it appears to be about a relationship of some kind that, that's at breaking point. People, people say that the song is said to have become associated with Eddie's stance on abortion, as he wrote, as he wrote pro-choice on his arm when they performed the song on uh, Unplugged in 92. Um, that same year, uh, Eddie, he made a similar statement when the band performed it on Saturday Night Live, that he wore a t-shirt with a wire hanger on it, and it added, a woman has every right to choose choose for herself, to the lyrics to the song, so so he added them in. But it's, again, it's not 100% clear if the song actually deals with abortion. It hasn't been confirmed or anything like that, you know. Just a small interesting note that um, the song, it has a pretty long instrumental break, um, mm. you know, and at this point, Eddie sort of when they're playing live, he likes to explore the stage and the, the space around him. So in you know, if you see any clips of, or videos of him, you know, climbing the set or jumping into a crowd or hanging off of something, it's usually during the break of that song. All right. Yeah. So uh, theme wise, we're going back into you know back into dark sort of territory again. You know, um, sort of uh, talking about abortion or you know that that's how people perceive the song to be. Anyways, you know, it's not it hasn't been sort of confirmed by anybody that that it is, but. You know, it, it does it does sort of point to that, you know. Yeah, kind of hints, especially as you said that that was one thing that I always remember seeing with the MTV Unplugged, that it was the pro-choice when he writes it on the arm and he's putting the black tape around his yeah. arm. And I was always wondering what it actually said because I couldn't really read it right because the camera keeps moving around because obviously it's in the middle of that part. So that yeah, that makes sense now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, find it out yeah, loads excellent. of yeah. new stuff. This is class. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, kind of, it's, it's nice to get the information and go back and listen. But, you know, it's kind of, I find it interesting anyways to go back and listen to uh, these songs. Yeah. So what is it? Track nine. Isn't it track nine next? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Garden is is the next track. Um, and this song, it, like it's as Deco said earlier, that it's just, it's kind of hemming and hawing about exact meanings about it. But this is like kind of fan theories and bits and pieces of, kind of hints that he's kind of hinted at in terms with the lyrics but um this song could be about willingly accepting debt without necessarily believing in an afterlife and being okay with it the term garden of stone is a cemetery and the narrator is accepting debt as the end of everything and is at peace with it so it's a kind of a it's not too it's it's pretty dark but it's not really it's there is a tiny bit of hope or something and ex the acceptance part i guess doesn't yeah. really seem as bad but um, the song could also be seen 
Um, and th this is more kind of Vedder's stance, but it, like the song could also be seen about being forced by the government to go to war. War is motivated by greed, as he said. Um, Garden of Stone is a war memorial or cemetery. Old speculation, really. Some songs like Black and Garden don't deserve to be decoded. There you go. That's Garden. Yeah. 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 No, I, I like I like that note that you have there. You know about this. You know that's not why we write songs. You know we don't write to make hits. You know, and then the fragile song. You know the ones that are in between to kind of get crushed. That's good. I think that's a good point to make as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's garden. Like it, yeah. I think it it does kind of come come around to that full circle, even with the oceans thing, with the three songs together. You know that it, it does kind of go around that. You know, it's kind of maybe yeah. it's the after effects of all that kind of stuff. Anyway, yeah. So that's that's garden. Mm -hmm. No, know what you mean, yeah. Okay, so song number ten is um deep. Um, like really, really rocking track. Like you know, re really good heavy song like you know and it's um it's big it's loud it's you know strong vocals good guitarists and everything um quite an obscure track lyrics wise you know it's it's kind of it's kind of divided listeners and what the song is actually about but um what i've done is i you know when you listen to the song you listen to listen to the song it has three verses and and the three verses are quite different you know quite different subject matter to each other i've taken three people's opinions on what they think the song is about so I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to read them out. So the first person goes. So so for verse one, he said, "There's three parts of the song. The first verse is about a drug addict pondering life as he takes an injection. Um, the second verse is a man who feels he is better than anyone, so he feels quite superior. And the line, the aged come, or the aged come, make makes him think of a girl coming of age, and um, he's not sure if uh, he's committing suicide with the knife or killing somewhere else. Uh, obviously the the these these points reference reference the lyrics that are in the verse. You know, the first verse is about needles. The second is about a knife. Um, maybe the knife is is figurative. You know, as he's putting someone down and making them feel bad. Part part three is the there. Sorry, verse three is is pretty disturbing. As you know, it's um that this person says it's about an angel who comes down from heaven because she feels she has nothing to God and ends up being raped. You know, because the um the lyric as he sinks himself deep. There's uh so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's and the, the second person then is kind of um, kind of goes about it this way. Um, he says, "This is going to keep it pretty simple. The song is about shitty aspects of our lives and how people choose to cope in a very unhealthy way. People's pain can run very deep. So the first verse is about a drug addict who may know better, and just by the lyrics, ponders his maker, ponders his will, and he's trying to examine his behavior. But when he thinks about his relationship to society and feels like he is worthless." And you, you might as well uh, sink that needle in. Uh, the second verse is about religious superiority. Old churchgoers think they know best, but to God, they are just peons. So he laughs at their haughtiness and sends down his retribution by means of a burning knife. And the third verse uh, is about a girl who wants to think herself harder than she actually is. He doesn't say she is Christmas, clean love, but almost. And she gets herself in over her head with some guy, but it's too late. So I'm not really sure, not really sure what, what, what he means by that one. Just, just um, the final one. Um, it's about a, a guy who is suicidal and he starts to take addictive drugs um, and steers away from that path. But even though he's not going to kill himself, his life is still fucked up and he starts getting into worse and worse stuff such as murder, which he has no problem justifying at this point, claiming superior, sorry, the superiority over his victims and eventually rape. So that's kind of verse one and two um, put together. 
the third verse is great work by the band because it puts you in the perspective of one of his victims. It makes you realize the true cycle of tragedy being portrayed throughout the song. So, you know, there's kind of there's a lot, a lot of sort of different, different sort of takes on it. You know, as, as you said from uh, Garden there as well. You know, it's just some of them songs. You know, it's just a stonking track music-wise and everything. And maybe it just doesn't deserve to be decoded. You know, just just leave it as it is. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the serious, uh, like I, I, very very cool to kind of hear the different kind of ideas that the what the song might be about. It's very mm. cool, but yeah, sure. I've n- never yeah. even thought about it because it's one of those songs again that I haven't really thought about as much. It's just as you said, it's just the riffage and when it kicks in and kind of yeah, just, exactly, yeah, you know, mumbling the songs away, but our lyrics away. But you wouldn't necessarily be thinking about would it be about the stuff that you talked about there. But yeah, it's kind of cool. I must, yeah, I'm gonna go back and actually Google the lyrics and mm. take a look through them and see. Yeah, yeah. If you if you go in and listen to the listen to the lyrics and kind of sort of read read through what people think the meaning is you know it, it makes you know any of them can make sense and be about two different completely different things you know and both can make sense so it's i think that's i think that's good in a way that it kind of speaks to the to the mentality of the person who's who's listened to the song rather than what eddie says it's about you know yeah i kind of yeah i mean like yeah it's just one of them melody wise for me like especially with that album i guess like when when I heard it first, it was more about the guitars and you know not really kind of thinking about the lyric aspect. Like, but now, yeah, that's kind of cool to kind of hear. There's a lot in it, isn't there? In terms of the album, like this, there is. It's, yeah, it's pretty cutting. I mean, you'd expect for for the kind of Seattle sound at the time, Pearl Jam. In my opinion, anyway, de- definitely wouldn't have been one of the darker toned kind of. But maybe the war, maybe mm-hmm. the war, the darkest of a lot, like with that, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's really cool. Really cool to kind of hear that. Um, so that's track 10. Um, so track 11. So it's the last track on the album and it's release. Um, and one of the lyrics, um, it's, it's again, it's the speculation stuff. We're not 100% sure about whether Eddie Vedder kind of said this is 100% but it's just what a lot of major kind of hardcore fans kind of say about it and they're like you can kind of see the kind of sense of what they've been talking about if you just even look at the lyrics so one part of it is um oh dear dad can you see me now I am myself like you somehow and this is where it kind of goes around again possibly with the father kind of um, subject that he talked about in, in some of the other songs. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics touch on some of the most deep-seated feelings and needs people have, but people rarely talk about openly. Um, he articulates them in such a way that you can't help but feel your heartstrings being pulled, especially in this song. They need to understand where we come from, not geographically, but the makeup of our characters. And the first step along that road is looking at who we come from, not where. Something um, he will never fully be able to do. Um, and that sense of loss that Eddie feels for having missed out on having this connection with his father. And especially in this song, he is almost mourning the relationship he never had. So that's that's pretty much the kind of gist of listening to it again mm-hmm. and kind of hearing about it. I, it, like, it there, like, I think he was very afraid. He kind of reminds me in, in ways, especially that he very shy when he kind of started out. Um, 
yeah and kind of didn't really want to talk about the lyrics and the meanings behind it because he was really trying to be the best storyteller songwriter he could possibly be but yeah i mean i, I can understand when you kind of see that you know jeremy the video is being like replayed and replayed mm -hmm. and people are just saying isn't the video class when obviously he's going well why don't you just listen to release don't yeah. bother listening to jeremy so it's kind of cool like it yeah it is it, it's a it's a very um it's a very early early kind of um career for vetter in terms of the songwriting but i mean it's pretty yeah. fucking good i have to say um, it is. just listen it to is. these stories you know it's a top it's a top um it, it just just from from the from the first track right to the end yeah it's just you know the kind of um it's just a roller coaster of emotions you know or just um just subject matter you know just just um other other than other than oceans everything is you know is quite quite dark subject matter but um it's just uh yeah it's just just the way it was the way he wrote the things i guess at the time i mean i guess even they probably were i think pearl jar more slightly overlooked a lot in terms of especially around the time when nirvana were out with nevermind and that just became a bit of a behemoth in mm -hmm. terms of the seattle sound which people always said you yes. know well at the time i don't think they do as much anymore i think a lot of people have kind of seen a lot more of the Seattle stuff are, you know, they were kind of doing that. Not not like, you know, not giving out about Nirvana or anything, but it's just that thing where, yeah, Pearl Jam were doing their thing, Soundgarden were doing their thing, Alison Chains and all those bands mm -hmm. were kind of making their own kind of, yeah, exactly. you know, their own stance on that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's kind of cool to kind of go back and, and you know, check it out. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed um, I enjoyed going through that. And obviously listening to 10 is... Uh, you know, it's um, listening to ten isn't isn't uh, isn't hard to do. Like you know, it's a it's a great great album track by track. You know, and just just going through and you know getting getting all the information for the songs and and um, listening to uh, listening to the information that you have for the other songs. It's um, yeah, it it's was, cool, uh, isn't it? It's a good one. Yeah, it was definitely a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's pretty much in terms of with ten by um, Pearl Jam. Yeah, I think is that us done for this episode? I think so. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty good. Enjoy that one. Let's keep it neat and sweet. Okay. Okay. Thanks everyone. That's it for this episode. Catch you next time. <laughs>